HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street. Do you need a conference room for your next meeting? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're diving straight no chaser into the delicious crossover of the food and jazz worlds. And I think that sense of nostalgia is what makes it hard to do New Orleans food well because people just have these memories of these dishes. Certainly people from New Orleans, like, you're never going to make, you know, a gumbo as good as their mother or grandmother made, right? Comfort food, you got to get your hands dirty, and the jazz as musicians, it's like, it all goes together very well, you know? Check out Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni, and today is December 3rd, 2019. We've got some guests joining us tonight to talk about rebuilding Common Roots Brewing up in uh, South Glen Falls, uh, New York. Uh, they had a big fire in March. I'm really proud of these guys. They've done so much. They've uh, rallied in their own communities, and the entire kind of New York State craft beer community got behind them. And uh, they're building the brewery, and it's amazing. Um, and guys, introduce yourselves, because there's a special team that's here. Hey, Jimmy, thanks for having me here. It's Christian Weber from Common Roots. And I'm Melanie Fraunhofer from Fraunhofer Design. So when, when we've, we've met you before, years ago, and um, <laughs> you know, you've worked through Union Beer in New York, and I've, I've always liked, liked your beers. Um, the story that happened last March was a big deal. Was tragedy, but no one was hurt. Yep. Um, we, we did a show with you guys back back in the spring, so you can listen to that. But we really want to talk about what you've done since then. Let's just talk about you know the the, the success stories since then, because you guys are open fast. You know, you you had your tap room relocated. You've had some some ways to produce beer as well. Let's talk about the successes and the people that supported you to get started. No, that's a really great uh, kind of intro to that because the. You know, the fire was something that happened, and it was, you know, it happened fast, and it was over with, and we realized just how fortunate we really were that no one was hurt. But I think the real story starts with the aftermath, because it, uh, you know, really became a story about community and the amount of people that really helped us kind of come together 
and just really how big the community is. There were, you know, breweries throughout the Northeast. I know we had Big Alice here last time. They did so much to kind of help us out, um, as well as our local community that, you know, supported us in so many different ways, whether it was fundraising for our staff to make sure that we could keep on every single employee, which we've, we have. We haven't lost a single employee um, since the fire, which is really important to us. And then also moving the, uh, the, the, the brewery down the road. So we had the fire on March 25th, and we actually opened a temporary location about 500 feet down the road where we have a tap room and a small pilot system. Um, but we're also, we've been still producing beer in the market as well. So we've been working with a uh, single cut, um, as well as torch and crown and two roads. So we're not quite producing the same amount of beer that we were doing every month, but for the most part, we haven't really left any of our territories throughout the Northeast where we distribute beer. Well, thanks for coming down. I mean, this is oh, the, kind of, a, was this the first big snowstorm <laughs> upstate? It was weekend? probably the biggest one. Yeah. We've had a couple snowstorms. you know, we we're rebuilding right now. So I'm a skier and this is the first year of my life that I've been hoping for no snow. <laughs> and it started snowing before October, or Halloween, I guess. Halloween, yeah. And uh, it hasn't really stopped. So in terms of building, it's been a little frustrating, but the skier inside of me is still pretty happy. So <laughs> so you guys have, what, a roof up? What do you have up now? Yeah, so about half the building's completely built. The main brewery structure is a kind of metal uh, prefabricated building, and, and that's almost entirely built. Um, and the restaurant tap room side is actually partially being, being built off site and they're just kind of getting to that right now. So the foundations are all in getting ready to pour slabs and, uh, we should have the entire structure closed in before Christmas. That's so great. We're, man. we're starting to, to make a toast to you guys. Oh, man. <laughs> I know there's so much, uh, going on for you guys and Melanie. So your role is, uh, tell us about your supply company and, and the role you guys have played in the rebuild as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we have worked with Common Roots for about five years since the beginning, of, uh, both of our companies. And we build brewing equipment. We build, we're build. we a design firm at the core of it, so we'll design anything you want us to. But there's so been like this stainless steel mm-hmm. yep. systems. Stainless steel brewing systems, cellaring tanks. We have a canning line. And we've worked really closely with Common yeah. Roots, like I said, since the beginning whether it's building tanks or a canning line, doing a research and design process, uh, they were a test facility for us, and that was huge. But this has been a really special time rebuilding them a new system for their new brewery. Uh, they, I admire everything they've done and the determination they have to get right back into gear and start working and pushing away instead of sitting and dwelling on what happened. And so everyone kind of hit the ground running. Uh, they have many suppliers and contractors involved, but... I can speak on behalf of all of them. Um, everyone has hit the ground running to get this brewery up and going as soon as possible. And we're in the process of building them a 30-barrel brew house and um, a lot of cellar tanks and also refurbishing, is that a good way to say it, mm-hmm. uh, getting them back up to par some of the tanks that survived the fire. Wow. that's uh, What does that involve? I mean, you're re- repurposing and making new things. <laughs> so, you know, the fire, uh, for the most part, was you know, completely detrimental to the entire building. Although the back warehouse, uh, you know, somewhat, you know, for the most part did survive the fire um, from a, you know, physical standpoint. Um, There were some of our bigger tanks in the back or some of our 60 barrel fermenters and bright tank, as well as our canning line and some of our packaging stuff for the most part was virtually unharmed other than maybe some smoke, you know, some smoke damage, which is totally cleanable and stainless. So 
Melanie's team was able to move him out um, and store him and then also, also do whatever cleaning needed to happen in order to get him back in. Um, our whole, our entire front end of the brewery, some of our smaller tanks, our 20-barrel tanks, our brew house, um, some other things, the tap room, the, all the offices, that was what really took the brunt of the fire. So, you know, it wasn't how, of course, we wanted to do it, but I'm happy that some of the things were able to survive because it's been a kind of labor of love for us. So to be able to have those, you know, original equipment still on, in you know, in-house is excellent. So at what point did you sit down and brainstorm? I know that you, you've, you're rebuilding a brewery, but you're also building a bigger brewery. It's almost like you're doing this the second time around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, we when we burned, we had just started a two-phase expansion. So um, we had acquired the property next to us a year or two prior to the fire, um, and the, the long process was, you know, phase one was to build off our tap room to add a, a restaurant component as well as add some more space just because it was a, it was a humble tap room, but it was, and it became, you know, kind of crowded pretty quick if you ever had a chance to visit the old site. Um, and then phase two was to add on um, some more production space for us. We had done a lot in a little bit but that's i guess the new york city thing right big things happen in small places so we had decided you know we kind of have a clean slate now and it, as though it wasn't how we wanted to do it and my father and my family and friends and we had kind of built the original brewery ourselves so we lost a lot of the you know the character and some of the nuances and the history of our our company in a sense but you know now we have the opportunity to do things a little bit differently and maybe do it a little bit more efficient and maybe utilize space a little better. I've kind of drawn the comparison that, you know, the original brewery would have been like the old Vermont farmhouse where you just kept adding <laughs> wings on over time. And, you know, although it maybe had the same square footage of what we will have now, eventually it, you know, would have been probably a, a awkward use of space, although I was perfectly happy to do it. Um, now it's, you know, a purpose built. Uh, we've been able to do a lot of things differently in terms of space, in terms of technology, and, you know, in terms of our environmental, you know, footprint and what we're doing for mitigating, you know, use of resources as well as efficiencies. You know, you took that awesome picture there of the two silos. You know, we, um, you know, we had put a one silo in for our base malt, but we've been using a lot of pills and malt over a couple of years. So we use this opportunity to add a second silo and it helps us kind of obviously get grain at a more efficient rate, but also... Uh, maximize the storage capability of it as well. It's a brilliant image for me. You know, in New York City, you got the twin towers that went down, but you guys have t- this image of two silos going up on your construction site. Um, congratulations, man. Thanks, man. It was a powerful day to see that because that was really, you know, although we've been seeing a lot of beams moving around, that was the first kind of image for our family and friends to kind of see, um, you know, iconically the first thing that looks like a brewery starting to take shape and you're right that this the comparison there is is pretty is pretty uh vivid and so since we're talking about rebuilding your brewery uh, and melanie i want to go more into what your company does some of the things you may have learned or innovated you know with with the new common roots brewery and some systems you like i know you said you you developed your first canning line yeah, so for this project, pre and post fire, we have utilized Common Roots not only as a showroom but a learning as a classroom for my team, and we're really thankful for that opportunity. So throughout the years, they you know they were our first fermenter, they were our first pretty much everything first, but uh, the canning line was a really big first for both of our companies. Um, as you know, we had this conversation, Jimmy. There's a lot of moving parts on a canning line. It's not as simple as as just building a, a tank and we there was a lot of late there was a, it was a labor of love 
and a lot of time spent. And, and through the process of having a testing facility, um, we were able to take our time and do it right and get feedback from professionals who, you know, the people at Common, the brewers at Common Roots have worked on in a lot of breweries and a lot of situations and they are packaging experts. And so it was really nice to be able to work with them so closely on that process. And now post fire, we're building them the largest brew house we've ever built. And to have that opportunity to test our skills and push our company beyond um, our por current portfolio is, is a real opportunity. And I'm, I'm thankful to have such a cool local community partner who's willing to try these things out with us. And I think Christian might say the same that in return we're we're always willing to try whatever they want us to try. You know we're we're open to anything. So this must be fun for you too. Oh, it's so good. I mean, there aren't a lot of opportunities you get um, in this world. You know, in manufacturing to customize things like we've been able to do, and that's that's enormous. And you know, we've we've learned a lot through the years of us brewing and to be able to, again going back to that clean slate of being all right. Let's do stuff maybe a little differently than we had been doing, but also um, let's work with a company that can help design something exactly how we want it. Because every single brewer, and you know, I've been fortunate enough to get to brew with so many amazing and really talented people, everyone has their own little shtick, their own niche, the, the thing that they like to do a little differently. And at Common Roots, you know, we, we've, we, have, we don't get a lot of turnover in brewers. We have people who have been with us for a very long time. We all like a certain way of brewing. And to be able to work with a company that can customize something and saying, this is a brew house we're building for the Common Roots team because this is how they like to brew. And just going back to your staff, I'm still amazed that after you guys had the fire, you, you said you kept on all your employees, 20 employees. We did. You know, it's a big it's a big family. I remember, you know, there were so many thoughts going through my head when I watched the building burning. And the biggest one is, you know, my dad and I are partners in this. And we had like, you know you know what moment because you know although we're insured and you know we're not necessarily business people you know <laughs> we've 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 become business people through the last five years but it's you know what do you do when you have for us at the moment it would seem like a lot of employees who rely on us for health insurance for benefits you know their families are on our health insurance policy what do we do now our entire money maker that was able to supply this is now gone in the blink of an eye and, you know, we didn't really know even our insurance policy. You know, you sign a lot of documents, but you don't always know what's involved with it. And we had an you know, entire meeting the next day and just said, listen, we're going we're gonna to take care of this. Don't worry about your paychecks. Don't worry about health insurance. Everything's just going to continue. And I'm sure if my attorney, <laughs> Matt Fuller, was listening, <laughs> he was tearing his hair off like, oh, don't make any promises that we don't know. And you know what? We just It didn't matter to us because either way, we're going to find a way to do it. And, you know, that's really where the community piece came in because there were so many uh, breweries and so many people that did all these fundraisers and, you know, that went directly to a separate fund that we've allocated just for our staff. And because of that, every single staff member has been able to maintain, you know, their entire um, paychecks as well as their, their benefit packages and remain whole throughout this process. And for us, you know, commoners has nothing to do with the brewery. You know, it's a family of people. It's a similar ethos. It's things that are we've all kind of bought into collectively, and that's all that matters. You know, you can burn it down again. Like, God, hope not. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's <laughs> no. the people. You know, it really is the people. And that was the most important of this process was to make sure that we were able to keep all of our people together and really, you know, really happy we've been able to do that. Wow, that's an amazing story. Um, Melanie, you must be really proud of this guy. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You have no idea. <laughs> Um, and a work and a work life to watch Christian and the entire Common Roots team, Bert, his father included, 
they teach us a lot about how they want their brewing equipment to work and we learn a lot from that to make our systems and equipment better but we also learn about a lot from them about how a company should be run and you know where your focus should be and I think my company uh, I know my company has a lot of it's a very similar ethos and we have a similar family structure so we are a family company my parents my dad started this company 40 years ago in January um, the machining side the manufacturing side and we've continued that throughout the years and like common roots we also don't have a lot of turnover and we hold our employees and and that you know that there's intention there that doesn't happen by chance and it's nice to work with a similar-minded organization. Cheers to you guys. Well, let's um, let, give me a little more of this beer. This the, the beer that you brought is special. It has a story. Um, it's, it's there's a connection to the fire. Yep. So let's tell us about the beer. What beer is it? It's Common Roots. What is it? So this is in bloom. This is kind of our house sort of farmhouse beer. Um, it is uh, supplied uh, in, a, in a fooder, which we kind of run more of like a Solera method uh, that was initially introduced through our cool ship. So we. Um, we have we've been running a cool ship since day one and, and doing a, we have a somewhat robust portfolio of wild mixed fermentation, um, but this is sort of the base beer for a lot of our beers and it goes through this single fooder that we have in the front of the brewery, um, and this beer is sort of special. That's why I brought down you, Jimmy's because I wanted you to have. We had just packaged it um, and, and finished bottle conditioning, but um, this was a fooder that survived the fire. Although some a lot of our barrels and kind of wood did not survive the fire. Um, this was one that did, and it was also the last batch that went through the old facility. So after the fire, we were able to kind of salvage the liquid inside of this one. This fooder was remarkably unharmed, um, which is pretty cool. Um, there were some, to be honest, there were some things that fell on it that ended up saving it. <laughs> and uh, But the liquid was great, and we tasted it after. It was actually scheduled to be packaged about two weeks if the fire didn't happen. And uh, so we were able to kind of move it to the new facility and um, and package it there, and it went through bottle conditioning, and, and we actually just brought it out. So I wanted to kind of bring it to you. It's a kind of a special beer to us, but it is kind of the base beer for a lot of our mixed fermentation that we do as well. Yeah, no, it's great. It's actually what I wanted to drink today. Um, so it's, it's a Common Roots in Bloom um, farmhouse ale. You know, I, I never think about you know, the philosophy of, of, of every brewery. But so when you started out, you always had a cool ship. You know, we did, we was, uh, it was, it was important for us to be doing kind of a, a portfolio of beers that had a lot of depth to it. And as much as I enjoyed, you know, a lot of, especially when you get farther away from our brewery, a lot of the, you know, customers and, and people that know us, they might know us more for our hoppy beers and some other stuff, our clean culture, um, fermented beers. But, you know, we've we've always been doing kind of mixed fermentation, and and we were probably one of the one of the few back in 2014 when we opened that we're running a, a cool ship, and we kind of started that program very traditionally, and it took a couple of years and for to our first beer called Rooted, which is kind of our very traditional um, spontaneously inoculated beer that you know eventually came out of that program. Uh, and now it is kind of a bigger portfolio of, of mixed fermentation. But, you know, for me as a kind of brewer, it's what keeps me excited about beer. It's the blending. It, it's some of the creative sides of it. It's some of the, you know, the culinary um, and, you know, side and as well as the ability to to work with a lot of local ingredients, too. We have a farm right up the road that we're very close with that um, doesn't do any big crops. They're called the Alleged Farm. Actually, we did a collaboration with KCBC last year and... Um, Tony and I went there for the day and picked some 
some uh, herbs and um, some stuff and eventually end up using it that that afternoon for a beer. Um, and, you know, that side of beer is what kind of keeps me excited. Although I, you know, definitely drink a lot of hoppy beer and a lot of lager as well. But uh, in terms of still making it, I really do like So this, this is like side. a cool ship, farmhouse, fooder, so it, bottle like, conditioned. Yeah, yeah, so this is a, you know, I said the slurry method, meaning that, you know, we, we it, it sits in our biggest fooder that we have. We never really empty that fooder completely. It's only been emptied maybe a two or three times since its existence. Um, and it was initially, the culture that we got was from our cool ship. So, you know, we, we filled it via our cool ship. And then since then, what we've done is we pulled, you know, five to eight barrels of, of beer out, packaged it, sent it to more barrels, blended, whatever we were going to do with it. And then we leave that culture in there and send in fresh wort where it continues to kind of ferment. And over time, as the, the you know, the fer, the fermenter, the culture maybe shifted or, or we, we wanted to get it a little bit more dry or a little bit more acidic, sometimes we have we have emptied it, washed it, ran it through the course cool ship again and, and done it done it over. But this was the last batch that kind of came out of it in that method. Wow. What first inspired you to, to make that beer that, that way? I mean, were there other people that you saw in New York doing it? Was it something that you'd read about? Oh, no, sure. I mean, I think that was, I mean, I think it's a very traditional style that's being done. I mean, some of the people that were, you know, I would say kind of patriarchs in, in the the U.S., uh, you know, wild mixed fermentation market or, you know, you look at Russian River, Allagash, people like that. Um, you know, Allagash is arguably the most beautiful, cool ship probably on the planet. <laughs> and, um, you know, part of us was, you know, they definitely were a, a sense of inspiration, you know, being able to go visit, you know, Cantillon and, and seeing, you know, the, the godfather of the world of, you know, basically mixed fermentation in terms of, you know, spontaneous lambic and goose and whatnot. You know, we we were inspired but kind of wanted to make our own humble version. And, you know, some of that was operational. That, you know, we just didn't have the ability to to produce this beer all the time, but we could do it within the fooder and we could, you know, generate, you know, other beers from that. And then as our, our program grew, we were able to acquire more barrels and kind of make that investment to turn into a, a nice robust program. Wow, man, this is just, this is the same kind of beer that I love. I'm getting cool. <laughs> Cheers, uh. Cheers, man. We've had uh, some really great like you know, lambic, you know, mixed ferment beers. We've had um, from Washington State from uh, Garden Path ferment. Oh, they're wonderful. Um, and uh, we're talking more about it. So good job, man. Um, Melanie, you know the the canning line. Let's talk about specifically about a. You know, the design process and what was so special about this canning line that you made for Christian? Sure. Well, we were approached with the idea from Common Roots about making, they were in the market for a canning line. And like most things before they buy them, they ask us, hey, do you guys want to try and make it even though you haven't already? And I actually was not there at the time. My brother, Paul, who was partnered with me in this um, business, in this company, um, he said yes. And I'm really thankful that he did because at some point during that process, I joined the team and it was a long R&D process. We have an incredible designer on our team, Ben. He was a brewer for a while and joined our, we're thankful that he chose to leave that and come work for us designing brewing equipment. Um, Ben has this incredibly creative mind that he can take something from imagination to actually operational in your in your brewery and so Ben designed from scratch this canning line that we had a goal for him it was not to make 
it wasn't to be the fastest line. It wasn't to have the most models. It wasn't to be the smallest footprint. Um, the intention behind our candy line had one goal, and that was to have as close to 0% loss as possible. And people laughed at us. And I think it's really exciting to say that this candy line is on the market now, and after years of testing, it has on average 1.8% loss um, when the environments are good. And that is something that didn't come easy and my team and common roots honestly worked really hard at that and our our canning line is the only on the market to fill by weight um and that gets us to a place of close to zero loss so it was a little bit hard for us to walk into to breweries and see that it was industry standard to have low fills and overflow and and beer that people like christian and the and all of our customers worked so hard to create just pouring down the drain. And we didn't want to get into a situation where a piece of equipment that we built participated in that. <laughs> and so we worked really hard to make a line that had zero, close to zero loss. And, and there's a lot of intentions behind that to save our customers money, to be the best, like we always try to be. But a lot of that was, it was really hard for us to watch something that so much time and energy and passion went into being made just go down the drain. And so that's, that's sort of where we got to where we are now with our canning line. And we're really happy to share it with so many people across the country. Yeah. I also had, I think, you know, a big thing for us and I think, you know, Mel was, was getting to that as well was, um, you know, the, the quality of, of canning a beer too. You know, a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, not just the, the waste, but also, you know, the, the amount of dissolved oxygen that it picks up during the process. And that, that's, that's one barometer that, that's very large for brewers because that's something that's measured immediately and it really, sh you know, can affect the beer immediately, but also affects the shelf life of beer. And although we always hope, especially our, our hoppier beers, that they're, they're you know, not necessarily cellared for something <laughs> for too long, but it is something that we want something to taste as good as it does when it's in our bright tank and when we're, we're kind of christening it to go to, uh, to the packaging. And they have very humbly, have, you know, don't always talk about it, but they have um, some of the best DO um, numbers that we, we've seen. And we, we've worked with a lot of different lines. And it's tough. You know, some of those lines are really good as well. And we've worked with some really great canning lines. Um, but sometimes it requires a really good operator to have to work with that line, you know. And one thing that the amount of automation that Fraunhofer puts into their, their equipment is um, really allows for... You know, unfortunately, sometimes the operator not to require as much, um, you know, necess you know, necessarily, I don't want to say talent, but as, as much um, focus on the actual operations of just kind of maintaining every single can that goes through. It's also about the amount of people. So there is something to be said for, although, don't get me wrong, we don't want you to have any waste. We also want you to make money um, <laughs> off of this, your, your packaged beer. And so Christian's right, not only keeping the quality up, but having as few operators as possible, having as few, little downtime as possible is really important. That's man hours. That's expensive time. And so, d yeah, definitely, although we, we didn't want to see any waste, there's a lot of um, points of interest there in building this to make sure that the breweries using our canning line are making as much money as they possibly can while they're using it. And it's also a little, it doesn't have to be as stressful as canning has been in the past. We ho we, we hoped and I think we definitely accomplished taking away some of those stress points so that packaging can be a little bit more relaxing and a little bit more cost-saving. So you're saying if I'm at a brewery and it's their mobile canning day 
Is that is that why I have to like they have to clean the floors afterwards because it's oh, kind of been overfill clean. everywhere. Oh, trust me, you're cleaning the floors every day. You're still cleaning the floors. <laughs> Regardless, you're always cleaning the floors. I'm but, not going to promise that. No, no, no. That that that's that's just a brewery right there. You know, you're always there's always beer and and stuff on the floor. But you know we you know a true testament has been um, the amount of our beer cans that I've been still seeing on untapped and on Instagram and all, all the things that people postings to uh you know since we burned i know exactly what beers are out in the market because <laughs> there's very little and we're, we're not doing you know 15 different brands in a month like we were when we before we burned you know it's two or three brands and there are specific ones that we have a little bit more distribution with so every once in a while we'll see something that was brewed in December that someone was saving because they wanted to hold on to their Converse beer and they, you know, didn't know when they would get it again. And we all look at each other like, oh, God, was that? Drink it, drink it. How, <laughs> how does that look? And then, you know, you see, oh, four and a half out of five stars. And you're like, oh, great. That was excellent. It held up. That was like almost a year old IPA that they, you've a- had in the your back of your fridge. And, you know, as much as I'd like to think that our beer is, uh, you know, so shelf stable and it was prepared so perfectly. But the reality is that has a lot to do with packaging. And if it's packaged properly and it's a great beer from the start, it's going to be able to survive and it's going to have a nice, you know, nice elongated kind of shelf life. And I think that's a a real testament to their equipment. That's great. Hey, you know, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, cool. Come right back. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that provides offices, co-working, event spaces, and a brand new podcast recording room. Have you been dreaming of starting your very own podcast in Brooklyn? You can now rent space in 100 Bogart's custom-built podcast room to record interviews, voiceover, and commentary. The room is fitted out with two microphones, mixing board, and a MacBook Pro running Pro Tools. You can rent the space by the hour, and a rental of an hour or more includes a 100 Bogart co-working pass. That means complimentary coffee, tea, and access to your own desk for the rest of the day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on your next audio project. 100 Bogart has the space and amenities you need to kickstart your podcast. Learn more at 100bogart.com or call their team at 718 362 Three, nine. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Guys, it's December 3rd, 2019, right after Thanksgiving. Thank God Christian from uh, Common Roots brought me the, the special uh, Cool Ship Fooder Farmhouse Bottle Condition Beer. What is it called again? This one's called In Bloom. It's amazing. Uh, we, before we talk more about that, Matt, our engineer, has a question for Melanie about the canning system. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was just uh, curious because I've, I've worked on a number of mobile canning lines and uh, a line that a brewery owned. And uh, avoiding low fills and spillage entirely sounds pretty magical to me. So I'm curious what kind of changes Ben made to the Oh, yeah. Ben, Ben's your designer. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Fraunhofer design, right? Yes. 
So there, there's a lot of little tweaks that that Ben made to make the beer happy. Let's just say that you know, angry beer leads to high fills or low fills, or, or it's hard to, to rein it in. Um, so there's something there. The overall, the line is smooth, and you have pretty much near continuous flow because of the way it's designed. So you have less angry beer. It's easier to dial in. But specifically, we have a dual forehead filler. So we only have one one model. Some people come out with many models. We have one, and it has a dual forehead filler. But each of the eight fill heads are individually programmed and have their own way station. And that is so that each beer we understand, uh, excuse me, each fill head is not going to handle the beer the same. And so they each have their own opportunity to fill perfectly before the line is ready to um, stop and move them forward to seaming. And, and so in that process, they get weighed and make sure that they're the correct weight before moving on, putting a cap on it and seaming it. But the nice part is that, like I said, each of the eight fill heads is individually programmed. So one can have a little bit of anger and take a second longer than another, and they still all move on perfectly uh, to the correct weight. That so, sounds you know, pretty good, right, Matt? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds yeah. like a thing of beauty. You know, you know, a lot of canning lines, they'll work off of, uh, you know, a couple different things. So, you know, you have some canning lines that work off of restriction. So you'll, you'll limit the, the fill time with restricting the flow of the beer and you can do that micro adjustments to each each fill head and you know and others will also work with timing too so you'll actually measure the amount of time that beer is coming out of the fill head um and what's really interesting is that ronifer decided to weigh it in addition to using those other two in unison of that as well so it as Melly was saying the biggest thing that really led to this this whole thing was that each fill head is entirely separate and it's on its own separate system and it's all digitized on the on their kind of PLC screen, but it weighs it, which is remarkable. And Question then, about beer weight. Do all beers weigh the same by volume? No. No. They do not. So what's the difference? <laughs> Gra- yeah, Chris, how do different beers... Sure, there's absolutely there's different densities of beers depending on you know alcohol, you know what what you're brewing, how much sugar content, but also you know believe it or not the the amount of carbonation also weighs into that as well. So that you know depending on high high volume the beer is carbonated at, it's also going to have less weight then or whatnot. So you know beers we will have substantial differences between you know a light uh, pale ale or a lager versus some big sticky stout that we're not maybe even carbonating that much. And when do you calibrate it? In between each run. So every time that you change what beer you're packaging, um, you can change what you set your time weight or uh, restriction to. But also our line has the ability to save those. So you know when you're canning coffee cup, which I think or good fortune you guys are drinking right now, you can dial that. You just tell the machine through our touchscreen, I'm canning good fortune again today. And it's not a labor of love trying to figure that out and dial it in again. Alexa, dial me a good fortune. You know what? We should build that in. I'm going to go back and talk to Ben about building. He already built in a Bluetooth speaker because he loves some good jams when canning. But I'll I'll talk to him about Alexa. (laughs) And then Christian, going back. So I I think that 2020 should be the year of uh, Cool Ship, Fooder, Farmhouse, Bottle Condition Ales. This beer is rocking. You're going to tell me a little more about (laughs) about the process, or you had a story about it, lambics or something. Yeah, you know, I mean, we we have, uh, you know, in blooms, kind of like I said, our house kind of base beer, and there's a lot of things that we do after that. So there's there sometimes it goes into additional food or kind of punching tanks where we're adding fruit, or it's going to barrels that then be blended. But you know, 
we do have our our most kind of traditional you know what we, we've kind of never really used the word lambic but we've used the word method lambic sort of style um, beer which is called rooted which is our 100 percent. so you'll say method lambic we don't even say that i think right. it, it's, it gets talked about at the brewery if you're trying to explain to someone the process i think we have a very cryptic um, spontaneously you know inoculated <laughs> and fermented in oak kind of barrel description on it but it's something that you know we waited a couple of years before we even brought out the first batch and it became a, a so kind of a fun blend for us to do and it was one of those beers that was like very very much inspired from some of our you know best drinking beers we've ever had in our life from our you know, in 2020 our i want you to come up with a, a, a new term for lambic because whenever i hear oak you know, and, and I know it doesn't make sense, but to me, my first thought is it, it sounds heavy. Mm-hmm. And these beers are not heavy. Nope. So it, it's like I almost don't want to hear the word oak, but I want to hear the word fooder. I want to hear the word lambic. No, sure. That's a good, you know, I think this is a beer that, you know, especially in Bloom, because it's something that we do a lot of, and it is very light and grassy and has a little bit of acidity, but it's still very dry. It's one of those beers that, like, if I had to not choose a beer outside of our portfolio, because if you ask me the best beer, in the world, it might not even be a common roots beer, and it wouldn't be. And it's probably if I had to have one beer the rest of my life, it might not even be a common roots beer. But uh, that being said, this is one of our beers in our portfolio that I could probably drink in every season and every day because whether you're mowing the lawn or uh, sitting next to a fireplace, this is a beer that has a lot of different uh, kind of personalities and and a lot of different profiles. Let, let's talk about your foundation. So you, you, cool. you guys have communities rally behind you. Talk about the importance of a local business, what community really means to you, what, what local beer means in the context of what you've been through. Well, you know, community um, is, a, is a pretty broad term, and I think we've, we've been able to kind of, you know, sort of see what community means to us since this process has happened. Um, and, you know, from day one, my father and I have always, this has never been a, you know, we've always been a kind of people before profit um, style business. And, you know, because of that, there's always been a lot of, community fundraising and things that we've always done from day one and you know it just always was sort of the right thing to do and that's why we did it um but when the fire happened it was overwhelming you know it was the most humbling experience in my life and i think sometimes you almost have to like pass away to see that sort of outreach and it was just something that like you know we never really could imagined and i think we felt like man how do we ever how do we how do we say thank you how do we give back like there's not a there was a word that was bigger than thank you i wish it was it was that's the word we need not not oh we need we need yeah that's it we need (laughs) that's it so we uh whenever you say thank you then you always have to say you're welcome or donata and you move on right that's it well you know we've we we don't want to move on yet so we want to be able to uh to kind of be able to pay it forwards and and kind of you know we were able to create a lot of outreach from this incident and um, we want to kind of continue that outreach. So um, knowing that, you know, part of my job lately has been writing about, a, you know, a thousand thank you notes. And <laughs> I'm sure we still won't be able to say thank you to everyone. And um, one thing we wanted to do was we decided to start the Common Roots Foundation, which is a nonprofit that's going to be launching in early um, 2020. It's currently kind of going through all the legal and things that you have to put a nonprofit through first. But um, it's a separate entity from the for-profit company, and it's uh, board-controlled, and it's ability for us to raise money as well as dispense money for, you know, families and, and other companies that have any issues. 
and whatever you know whatever that issue is is, is something that you know we want to be able to help support and it's something that i think is um is started off as uh, yeah this would be a great way to give back but it's become something such more so much more powerful because we've we've really realized that this is this is something that we can do a, a great deal of good with and we can you know there's going to be a, a beer that we're launching in 2020 as well with common roots well that will help uh, fund this in perpetuity um, as well as all of our different 5ks and everything we do will actually fund this as well now um, and not that we won't be giving to the charities that we have normally given those things through but it uh, the foundation will then kind of dispense that as well so um, it's going to be growing and it's going to be dynamic and we're still working out all the the aspects but it's so if like a, a family in your area has a fire or an accident Absolutely. They could possibly get help. I know there was there's been ideas out there for years about also they call it a barman's fund. Yep. Where a lot of like industry workers don't have any of that kind of uh, protection behind them. Um, it's it's important, you know. There's a lot. I think most people are not fully insured. Most people don't have enough health insurance to get through any kind of problems. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. You know, congratulations! You guys are really doing the right thing. I appreciate um, it, man. I'm gonna go back to the canning. <laughs> All right, we're gonna talk. So, Fraunhofer Design, because half the show is about rebuilding <laughs> a brewery. Um, I know you guys teach a, a, a pump workshop. Tell us about pumps. How how because you, you you're the stainless steel manufacturers. We design things and their systems, and there's a lot of moving parts in breweries. You know, there's gravity feed systems, but there's also a lot of pumps. Oh, there's there's so many pieces that we have to source. So just like common roots and all of our other customers source their brewing equipment through us we may provide you with this beautiful 30 barrel brew house um but a lot of the pieces in there are our customer or excuse me suppliers that we are sourcing things from as well um one of those that is happens to be the pumps and i think maybe you saw that on social media we were doing a pump rebuilding class what was it called uh, get pumped with Fraunhofer Design. <laughs> Shout out to Tara, our co-op from Boston, um, for coming up with that. We're super proud of her. But um, no, it's just really, it, there are so many different pieces to your system. I think um, one of the things I, I have to um, tell people is I would never lie to you and sell you a system that, and I can promise you it's not going to break down. There's a lot of moving parts. There is a lot of mechanics to these systems, whether it's a canning line or a brew house or even just a bright tank. And Part of that is understanding the system, being educated on what it is, what it, what its capabilities are, what its restrictions are. These are also dangerous pieces of equipment. And so we really try not to just provide you a system and hope you call us for maintenance. Um, we want to educate you on it so that you're safe and that you're happy with your system. And one of the ways that we do that is, well, we've just started um, – doing classes. And so we used to, we still do, but if you call us, we'll come to your, we actually have a brewery in, um, today that I sent some people to, to help with the pump Where rebuild in, um, Malta, uh, unified beer works. And so, you know, any of our customers that call us and say, Hey, you want to come Wait, the Island of Malta? Oh, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. No, no. That would be pretty no. cool. <laughs> Malta is in upstate New York. Oh, New York close to us, yes. <laughs> Um, but anyway, yeah, so I'm this, thinking like warm, vacation. you know, I feel you there. We're all thinking it right now with this storm, yeah. but, um, I, one of these classes that we just did was a pump rebuilding event and maybe a little bit was an excuse to get together with industry people and drink some good beers. But another reason is we brought in, um, Dixon sanitary is a company that we get our pumps from. We also get our tri-clamps and gaskets from them. They're an incredible company out of Wisconsin. 
Um, and who we also love their customer service. I'll give them a little pitch because they're pretty, they're rock stars over there. But they, they came out and worked with my team to give a pump re- preventative maintenance and repair and rebuild class. And one of the, that's just an element of what we want to offer our customers. We're not just there to drop off your system and say, good luck. You're never going to get rid of us. And I hope you're happy about that because we want to continue to teach you. We want you to be you know, fully aware of the capabilities of your system and make sure that you feel comfortable working with it. And so it was a really fun class, um, a little bit of hands-on workshop um, because your pumps are all over your brewery and you should know how to maintain them. They're anywhere from your brew house to CIPing um, and they're used uh, for transferring, you know, everything, everything and beyond. And so it's important to know not just the overall this is what my system does, but the true mechanics and how to fix it when something goes down so that you don't have to wait for us. <laughs> so that was a fun class. I appreciate you bringing it up. So to carry buckets of water around. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, so for Christian, you know, so this is your your second chance to kind of build and design the brewery. What, other than the canning line, what's another item that was a, kind of like a dream or something that from your experience you're like, wow, we have to do it this way? Anything. Yeah, you know, you know, not the most sexy thing on the planet, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with front of her, but mm-hmm. it was, you know, we did kind of grow a lot in capacity and, and cold storage is, is like a, you know, <laughs> is, is the most precious thing in a brewery. And I think every brewer on the planet would, would appreciate that. Um, we, we have a pretty enormous drive-in cooler and that's something that like, I don't even know what to think about it right now. I, I can't even fathom. I've like walked around the site and I walked all the four corners of this giant, you know, <laughs> refrigerator we have, but, uh, that's a big how, how one big for us. It? It's uh, it's like almost it's more than two stories tall. It's uh, it can hold enough production for a full month of us brewing without us sending a single drop out. So it's what brewers' when dreams the, are uh, made and what of. Can you, you go in with a forklift? Can you, you actually can go back in with a forklift? You can you can't no back truck. in the truck, but you can go in the forklift. And you know if the snowmageddon comes and snows the whole <laughs> world in for for a full month, we can keep brewing there and whatnot. Another thing that was really um, important to us is you know we had a fair amount of environmental. Um, and sustainable things in place at the old brewery. We had solar hot water. We had, um, you know, a, some various different ways that we u- utilize water for. Um, but we kind of had the ability this time around to do things a lot different. So we did build our brewery to be, you know, incredibly sustainable. And we have a full, um, you know, solar PV panel. We have an enormous amount of solar hot water. We have EV charging for cars. Um, we've done a lot with kind of our water uh, waste mitigation um, so those are some things that, you know, create kind of a lesser impact on our community, our, our kind of our resources that we tend to take for granted sometimes. So those are some things that we're, we're pretty excited about. No, it's great. You've got some great stories, too. So, I mean, breaking it down. So this new space with a restaurant, tap room, I mean, it's definitely a destination space. And do you feel like your customers are interested in those things like sustainability? You know, I, I think so. I think it's what people want. You know, I think it's. You know, it always kind of cringe when I, I look at the amount of water we go through every month and, and you know, how much it costs to, to heat that water and to, you know, to, to use all these resources as much as, you know, refrigerating, you know, half a warehouse in, in August isn't, is a, isn't a big, is, is no, is an enormous deal. So, you know, those are things that I think our customers, you know, I can imagine, you know, the, the world's starting to look at, you know, those things are important now. We do have finite resources and, you know, we we do, we're lucky in the Northeast where we do produce more water than we could ever imagine. But, it, you know, breweries on the West Coast have to think about their water use every day. 
you know, talk about breweries in Southern California and spots where, you know, water isn't always available, you know, and that's something that, you know, we're, we're lucky enough to take it for granted, but we don't want to. So, you know, how we, we look at those resources, whether it's from a fuel standpoint or electrical standpoint or, or our just water use or even where we're getting our ingredients or working with local companies like Front Offer or working with that local farm we spoke of or where our grain goes and all those sorts of things. Or those are all pieces of the puzzle and eventually it becomes this bigger picture. And you can I've, see I've heard those. some West Coast breweries, their growth is limited by the, the limit of the water that's available to them, right? Absolutely. You know, water rights are a real thing on the West. And, you know, that that's a, that's a whole other topic. And we are lucky because we... You know, from a theoretical standpoint, we export water. You know, you look at apples and all these things that we grow and we send out to the world, beer that we produce and send out to the world. You know, we're exporting water, and the West Coast has to think about that. You know, you're taking water out of your watershed and then moving it somewhere else. And and that means that, you know, there are days that, you know, you can't even, you can't water your lawn, but yet, you know, there's big manufacturing that can make products like beer and stuff. So we have to kind of think about those resources all the time. Let's talk about your time in New York. I mean, with all this going on, rebuilding a brewery, you're here doing sales, and, and sales is still kind of number one. Um, tell us about some of the sales stops you're doing in, in New York City this the, today and tomorrow. Oh, man, so we were, uh, we were really fortunate. I'll say I like that because I get a text <laughs> like, I'm going to be late. I'm, I'm on a sales call. Yeah, you know. Uh, that's what you're supposed to be doing. That's that's York. it. So I was with uh, unfortunately our our great our our great uh, coworker Keith Johnston who runs our sales director for Common Roots is still out in the street with uh, with our friends at Union Beer. Um, you know we we generally spend a little bit more market time, and this past nine months we haven't really been able to. So you know using this opportunity, and you know we're we're stoked to have this on the calendar to come get to visit you, Jimmy, again and hang out. Um, we kind of use this as like, hey, let's we get to spend some time, talk some shop with our distributors and talk about, you know, what we're going to be doing next year a little bit, as well as, um, you know, visit so many of the great accounts in New York. Can you mention one or two that you were at today? We actually, tomorrow? you know what, for the first time in a, in, a, in a little bit, this is pretty funny, is I actually ran into Melanie <laughs> at the account and I wasn't expecting it because we don't, um, although, we're, you know, we love, 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 uh, I'm big fans of all, you know, so many of the wonderful breweries. In New York, Melanie is getting ready to do a uh, do an install and do some work with Randolph Brewing, and they also have a pretty extensive guest tap system. And we were kind of in the neighborhood, <laughs> and uh, so I was like, "Oh, you got to stop here." The, you know, these guys—they're—they're they're a brewery. They're kind of—they're growing, but they have a lot of guest taps. They've been putting a lot of common roots on. We're like, "Oh, we know Randolph." We were, actually, we I drove think down Melanie, <laughs> and sure, sure enough, we walked in, and Melanie's standing there talking to their brewer and one of their their general manager, and we're like, "Hey, here's a." <laughs> And it, and it worked out, but you were, we spent the day in Brooklyn today and we got to hang out with a, a, a bunch of wonderful friends and we're going to spend the day tomorrow in kind of Manhattan, zip around, but we should be back right in the beginning of the new year to kind of pick up where we left off and kind of keep Great. hanging out. Let's go through the beer. So now this is one of your IPAs. What is it? Yeah, so this is a, a, an IPA called Good Fortune. I thought it was kind of apropos for today. Um, Buona Fortuna. Exactly. And uh, it was also brewed. I want to give a shout out to our friends at Single Cut who have been, you know, handling quite a bit of our um, our uh, distribution package beer going out to the world. You know, like I said, them, Torch and Crown and and, um, and uh, Two Roads, Roads as well. But uh, this is one of our IPAs that we, you know, we do distribute kind of a little bit more of and uh, just kind of a, here's an IPA and here it is. Great. And let's pop that you have a stout too. So let's taste that too. Um, just to get all the beers recorded. Um, and then also going forward, so now, you know, now that you're getting back up to speed, we, mentioned, we talked about earlier that you know things like 
opening bash for New York City Beer Week, Tap New York. Um, so you guys will be back out there in 2020, right? We will. We took, you know, we, we took a little bit of a, a pause on some of our distant kind of beer travel that we did, um, only because... You know, we were still putting a lot of pieces back together. You know, we're living off insurance money. Some of the, the travel budget definitely took a little bit of a hit. So we, we only kind of did a lot of the local fests that we were able to kind of get to. Um, but, yeah, starting in 2020, we're, we're kind of going back at it. And I think we just confirmed with our New York City Brewers Guild friends here that we're going to come down to opening bash. And I think the next one's EBF with the Beer Advocate crew and then heading out to Tap New York. And I think we're actually going out to Uplands Brewing and indiana and the in march or april and so we we're starting to get back into the the fun festival circuit and start getting to hang out with all of our friends again and uh we've been uh yeah we're excited so this is um this is coffee cup and it's one of our kind of stouts that we do generally do year round um it's a little bit bigger it's nine percent which is a little bit big for us because we don't do a lot of big beers but um which is kind of fun is that um uh, a guy who I went to high school started the coffee company and was actually roasting in our back warehouse at the old space when we had a little extra space for him in the, the earlier years. And he kind of blew up. His company's called Crew Coffee. They're based in Saratoga. We actually have a business venture down in Troy where we're moving our wild program, and that should be late um, 2020 when that facility opens. But we're actually sharing a building with Crew as well. So they're going to be doing some fun stuff in that same space as well so this is just kind of a coffee double stout and it's kind of fun to be able to do something with a friend who's doing other uh wow. you know other cool things as well well that's great and tell, uh, tell us something else going on locally up there i mean between troy albany south south glens falls saratoga there's a lot happening up there you know upstate new york is is really bumping and i will say <laughs> You know, um, we're in a, in a kind of a really cool community called Southlands Falls that's in between Glens Falls and Saratoga. And those are definitely bigger, you know, bigger urban areas, you know, for upstate New York. Um, Saratoga is where a lot of people know because they either horse racing or they're going to see great shows at SPAC or whatnot. But, you know, Glens Falls is, is a truly kind of cool, uh, you know, great little city as well. It has um, it has a local ski mountain that has, still has night skiing, which there's hardly any mountains that have night skiing anymore. It's got a... Why not? What happened? <laughs> I know. Well, you know. <laughs> I grew up night skiing. That's it. It's still a thing. But come to Glens Falls, Jimmy. We'll take you night Join skiing. Join us, please. <laughs> there's still have an old slow chairlift. Actually, it's a new one now, but it's still slow. But it's in just enough time where you can usually pound a, a beer on the way up. So it's just Never important. done that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was up there. I've been up there before. You know, Washington County, Cambridge, New York. Uh, you know, I, I, it's a beautiful area. It's on the border of Vermont. Uh, it's called one of the true... Uh, farming counties and regions in, in New York. So um, I know you've got a lot of like, special things. Anyways, I just want to give you guys a shout out. I'm so glad you guys came down. There was oh, a man. threat of snow. We oh. almost said, so it's episode 476 from April 2019. That, that's when Christian came down. It was called Kindred Kindred Spirits or Kindred, Kindred Roots. Roots. Kindred yep. Roots. Yep. And you guys came with uh, John from Big Alice. Uh, Big yeah. Alice. Um, but you can also listen to that one. So we, we got you t- twice on this year. Kind of got your story in the beginning, and now where you guys are going forward. So, and Melanie, we got to talk a little bit about brewery equipment and design. I didn't. I, I'm going to say the 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 intro. I didn't want to give. A couple years ago, there were a couple larger brewery equipment manufacturers that went bankrupt, and some people, some of the brewers that we know, got screwed. I never really wanted to do a show about that. 
because I like to talk about positive things. So I'm glad we got to talk a little bit more about your company that's growing and the way you're able to work closely with common roots and, and to learn and grow from that. Like this canning, Ben, you're a genius, right? It's that's like, right. We tell him every <laughs> design, day. <laughs> design me a canning thing. I don't know. Can you design me like a little conveyor belt to take my, you know, my breakfast from the kitchen? To my... Honestly, Jimmy, don't even talk about it because Ben will hear it and he'll do it tomorrow. Christian can, can that's the a, kind of stuff you attest could do, right? to that. Ben will come up yeah. with anything you want him to. And then like so. just so like I had a dairy company. What if I want to pump milk or... Whatever you want to do. yogurt or something. We work with chocolate companies. We work with coffee companies, crew who helped to make coffee cup. Um, we work with pretty much any craft oh, wait. maker. Okay, the chocolate company. Tell me about the sc- scoop in the peanut butter. Oh, goodness, yeah. Bark Eater Chocolate, which is in North Creek, uh, a little bit north of us. They were scooping their peanut butter into their peanut butter cups um, by hand, and that just didn't work. And so right now we're actually making them a, an automated peanut butter dispensing machine. I mean, you come to us with a problem and we'll solve it, and, and that's sort of our, our niche. Although we have great brewing equipment with designs in the books, and you can come to us and we'll, we'll pop them out in, in no time. Come to us with a problem, and that's where you'll see my team really shine because they love solving problems. And one of those is apparently getting peanut butter into peanut butter cups in an efficient <laughs> manner. That's all right. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Christian, any, anything else you want to say? Shout out to anybody? Oh, man, I just want to, well, I want to thank everyone. I mean, there are so many friends. And, Jimmy, thanks for giving us, you know, an opportunity to come down again. I always want to come down here. So it's, you know, getting to see you is always a treat and, and hang with friends. So I appreciate it, my man. Great, man. You guys have been awesome. Big thanks, Christian and Melanie. Christian from uh, Common Roots. Common Roots. And Melanie from? From Humphrey Design. I can't even remember anybody's names anymore. <laughs> Thanks for joining me on the Heritage Radio Network. If you have questions for us at Beer Sessions Radio, email us at askbeersessionsradio at gmail.com. We'll answer on the air. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about new breweries that have opened or will be opening in New York City. Uh, I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producer, Dylan Hoyer, our intern, Kevin Chang-Barnum, and our engineer, Matt Patterson. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.